you again for joining with us in this Marriage Encounter Project. I hope the last three conversations have been helpful for you and your spouse. Today, we're wrapping up with our last conversation, and the title of this one is The Story on Sex. Um, This is a conversation I've been looking forward to having for a while because I truly believe that this is an important conversation that we need to be having inside of our marriage. So let's get comfortable with this because I think it's really going to help. Now, one thing that is very difficult as a communicator is that a lot of times when I'm talking about different subjects or topics, I can find stories or examples or illustrations to bring clarity to the different points that we're trying to make. Oftentimes, pastors will use personal stories to help illustrate their points that they're trying to make. And obviously, when we're talking about sex inside of our marriages, none of these things uh, are are usable, right? We can't be doing that. That'd be completely inappropriate. Uh, So you then start to look for other stories sources for illustrations or references or ideas. And obviously, when you start looking to the world and the portrayal of sex from the world, all of those type of things are are out. You can't use anything because the world has a completely skewed view of sex. And I'm not sure there's a married couple in the world that doesn't roll their eyes a little bit at the unrealistic, ungodly display of sex in TV and on the media. So we have to try to approach this subject uh, from a entire entirely different perspective. And that's why I always believe it's so important to use the scripture. And so I want to use the scripture today in order to help you have a a biblical understanding of how sex should operate and how it should work inside of your marriage. Now, most people grew up in one of two homes. You either grew up in a home where sex was openly discussed in front of you as you grew up, Or you grew up in a much more conservative home where sex was a very private topic that was not talked about a lot. Now, I grew up in a home where sex was openly discussed, and it was actually a frequent topic at the dinner table. And this is just the house I grew up in. And Charity was not uh, used to that. That's not the type of household she grew up in. So her her family was a lot more conservative. It was a lot more uh, secretive inside of her home. And so uh, when she came over and we started dating, and this was an open conversation, that my dad would have, it was horrifying to her. And it's horrifying to a lot of you to hear that my dad would talk about that openly. But I want to be honest with you for a moment. I I cherish those memories because my father allowed me to witness what a healthy sexual union in the confines of marriage really looked like. Because he was open in his conversations, it gave me a realistic understanding of what sex looked like inside of a marriage. And let me tell you something that we know to be true. The way that sex is betrayed in the TV and in film is not close to God's design for sexual intimacy inside of a marriage. And as a result, we have generations. Notice I'm using that word plural. Generations. We have multiple generations of married couples who have an inaccurate understanding of God's design for sexual intimacy inside of marriage, and it has created countless problems for countless marriages. As a result, there is a sexual strain in marriage in our culture. Now, what we have to understand from Scripture is that God designed sex to be great inside of marriage. God never intended 
intended for there to be a sexual strain inside of the marriage. He intended for it to be great. So we have to uh, go into this, looking at the scripture, trying to overcome the misconceptions that have crept into marriages. And we have to try to overcome the worldly um, ideas that have unfortunately filtered their way into many marriages. And we have to get back to the original design that God had for sexual intimacy inside of marriage. So what is God's original design? What did he intend for sex to look like inside of your marriage? Well, let's look at the scripture, Genesis chapter two. This is a familiar passage that we've been looking at throughout this series. Genesis two, starting verse number 19, it says this. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground, all of the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and to the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed that place with flesh. And the Lord made a woman from the rib and he brought out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I want to read one more scripture. Genesis four verse one says this. Now, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore a child and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Here's what I believe that this scripture is showing us right off the bat. Sex is perhaps the most important aspect of your marriage because it is the only thing that truly separates your relationship with from every other relationship in your life. From these passages, what I want you to see is that there was a purpose in the original design of sex. We see that sex was the first indicator of the marriage. It was the way that the marriage was consummated between Adam and Eve when they were brought into a covenant with one another. That was God's design. That was God's perfect plan. And we see from this passage that there are actually three reasons, three purposes of sex inside of the marriage. The first is that God created sex for pleasure. The Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. There was pleasure inside of their sexual union. The Bible goes into graphic and some would even say erotic descriptions of, of a married couple inside of the book of Song of Solomon. It, it gives some very graphic details of their sexual union. And that, that book of the Bible graphically displays that the husband and wife are finding pleasure inside of their marriage. Proverbs chapter number five, verse number 19 says this. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all time and always be enraptured with her love. This proverb is encouraging a husband and wife to find pleasure inside of their sexual union. We read in our last session out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, and if you go read that, you'll see that the Bible's encouraging a husband and wife to mutually submit to each other's needs. So God created sex for pleasure. Secondly, God created sex for reproduction. 
God created the marriage to be a healthy, sure foundation for bringing children into this world. And if you look into Genesis chapter number one, the very first recorded commandment uh, from God to humanity was to be fruitful and to multiply. This is perhaps the easiest commandment in all scripture to obey for a husband and wife, and that is to be fruitful and to multiply. Third, and I believe most importantly, God created sex for intimacy. And that verse I read to you out of Genesis chapter number four, verse one, it says that Adam knew his wife. And that word knew is one of the most important and complex words in the original Hebrew language. It signifies intimacy, oneness, a revealing of yourself to someone else, uh, learning about someone else, knowing completely and being completely known. In fact, it's the same word that the scripture uses elsewhere for God knowing us. It's a personal level. It's an intimate level. It's where he knows everything about us and we know a lot about him. That is why the scripture says that the two became one flesh. Sex unites a husband and wife physically, spiritually, and emotionally. They are one in every sense of the word to the point in God's eyes that they're no longer two, but they're one. And this is why Jesus said, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. This is why God has limited the sexual union into the confines of marriage, because marriage is a covenant that says, I will be with you until death does us part. And that covenant is the only safe relationship in which you can give yourself to someone and you can be united with someone where you both become one. That's why marriage is so important. That's why the covenant of marriage is binding, because it's the only safe place for the sexual relationship to happen. Tim Keller said this, Sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give yourself to another human being. Sex is God's appointed way for a husband and wife to reciprocate and say to one another, I completely, permanently, and exclusively belong to you. Now, everything in God's plan was perfect and had a purpose. In fact, after God created Adam and Eve, he looked and said, this is very good. Now, this brings us to a question. If God created sex to be great inside of marriage, if God created sex with a purpose, then why is there so much sexual strain in so many marriages? Why is sex something couples fight about time and time again? Why are there so many misconceptions about sex? Why is sex messed up even inside of marriage from time to time? Well, just like most things, the answer to this is sin. Adam and Eve sinned. They fell into temptation. And the Bible says that after they sinned, the first thing they realized was that they were naked. It is interesting to me that sin's first recorded effect on humanity was that it caused them to feel shame on the sexual side inside of their marriage. The very first natural effect of sin was to the marriage bed. What God said was good was now felt like shame for Adam and Eve. And ever since that day, humanity's viewpoint on sex and sexuality has been misunderstood. God's original design was for pleasure, reproduction, and intimacy inside of the marriage. But as soon as sin entered the world, that all fell apart. Now, instead of viewing sex from God's vantage point, humanity now views sex from a worldly standpoint. 
And the fact is that humans tend to fall into three different worldly viewpoints on sex, and none of them are accurate. Let me share them with you. The first worldly viewpoint of sex is that sex is a natural appetite. Basically, what this says is that sex used to be taboo, but now we're aware that there's some natural pleasures inside of it. Therefore, we should experiment with whatever and whoever makes us feel good. That is a negative. That is a wrong perspective on sex, but it's a very common worldly view of sex. The second worldly view is that sex is dirty and it's only for human procreation. The church has a history of almost falling into this point where we view sex as an almost a necessary evil. And we portray it as such sometimes, unfortunately, even in our preaching or how we portray sex to our kids. And I want to encourage you that, that that's not God's viewpoint of sex, and that is a worldly viewpoint, and we need to be careful. We need to be careful how we portray it to our children. Saying things like don't have sex because you could get pregnant or an STD is not the, the avenue we want to take with our children. That is not the reason why they need to save themselves for marriage. The reason why they need to save themselves from marriage is because sex is only safe inside the covenant of marriage where you can give yourself freely under God's design. The third worldly viewpoint that happens is sex as self-expression. This is a viewpoint that is rapidly taking off in our culture today, and it basically says this, sex is about self-satisfaction and self-fulfillment, and we see this playing out in a variety of ways. Think about how these viewpoints are playing out in our society. Sex has become all about what you feel and what you want physically. If you've ever stood in line at a grocery store and you start looking at the magazines and the titles on the magazines, what are you going to see? You're going to see titles that say how to have the best sex ever, 21 days, 21 ways to please your man, 101 ways to have the best night of your life. Pornography in our culture is a $13 billion a year industry, and it's dealing with what? The physical appetite. There is a sexual problem in our society and in a lot of our marriages, and so many people are not satisfied with their sexual relationship, and they're trying to fix it. And this has been very damaging. That's why we have all these different, quote unquote, advice articles that we see this damaging to our marriages. At the very least, there's a lot of couples that are dissatisfied because they don't and they don't know how to fix it. You know, at the worst, many couples are trying to fix their problems in their sex life by finding, quote unquote, better ways to perform or by bringing additional, quote unquote, help into the bedroom in the form of pornography. Or at worst, they're opening up their bedroom to other people, either knowingly or unknowingly to the other spouse. And here's what I want you to see inside of all this. Let's let's recap for a second. God created sex for pleasure, for reproduction, for intimacy. Sin instantly distorted the flesh. That's key. And ever since the fall of humanity, people have been trying to fix their sexual dissatisfaction with the flesh. Let that sink in for a little bit. When a couple comes to uh, sexual dissatisfaction inside of their marriage, they often look to fix the flesh first. The problem is, though, is that sex is not about the flesh. Adam and Eve were naked before the fall, and they were still naked after the fall. The problem with sex was not the flesh. The problem with sex was that their heart became corrupt. And if you're going to have a healthy sexual union inside of your marriage, it will never start with the physical. It will always start with the heart and with the spiritual. 
listen and hear me very closely. If you and your spouse are dissatisfied with your sex life, or if you and your spouse are bored with your sex life, or if you and your spouse have great sex and you want to take it to the next level, it's never going to be about the physical. It's always going to be about the spiritual and the emotional inside of your life. Healing and satisfaction and fulfillment inside of your sex life is about the heart and the spiritual. So let me give you some biblical keys to having a great sex life. This is this is the secret right here. Save save yourself from the magazine articles and all of those things. Here stick to the word and here is what the scripture tells us. The foundation of great sex is this. Great sex inside of marriage is always about mutually giving yourself to the needs of your spouse to build intimacy and pleasure. Did you catch that? It's about giving yourself Maybe you're watching this today and you are unsatisfied in your sexual intimacy with your spouse. You need to learn how to give yourself to your spouse and start building that intimacy again. Maybe you're watching this and you're completely satisfied with your sex life. Let me tell you, you can always get better when you learn how to give yourself to your spouse in a new and better way today. Every one of us who are married can grow in our sexual intimacy with our spouse. There's no limit to that. Now, Here's the good news. The Bible tells us how to grow in intimacy with one another. In fact, the scripture and God and his wisdom gave us an entire book of the Bible displaying a healthy biblical sexual relationship between a husband and wife. And that book is called the song of Solomon's. And if you haven't read it as a husband and wife, I encourage you to read it. And as you read it, you'll figure out that Solomon had a lot to sing about. Now, what I want you to see out of this when you read this book is that a husband and a wife were giving themselves mutually and exclusively to one another, and they had great sex. And the reason why they had great sex was because they were constantly seeing the needs and the desires of the other person. Obviously, the the book, The Song of Solomons, is metaphoric and poetic in nature. So when you see that, the Song of Solomon often references sex to a garden. And I want to read to you a passage of scripture. Song of Solomon, chapter six, starting verse number two, it says this. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to graze in the garden and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. The garden is the imagery that is used over and over again within this book that the Bible is using to describe and to give us a picture of a sexual relationship between a husband and wife. And I personally believe that this imagery, this depiction, this metaphor is the perfect illustration of sex inside of a marriage because a garden produces life and it produces beauty. You have two types of gardens. Some gardens grow flowers and they're beautiful to look at. There's beauty there. Other gardens produce produce that you eat that brings some health to your life. It brings you nourishment. And so when a husband and wife are giving themselves to their spouse's needs and desires in a sexual relationship, that is a garden that will produce beauty and life inside of your marriage. And I truly believe that sex inside of your marriage is what God has given you. It's the gift. It's the tool that God has given you to produce that beauty in that life. So let's get very practical for a moment with the imagery of a garden in mind. What do you need to do as a couple to have a healthy, flourishing garden that produces beauty and life inside of your marriage? Well, you need to do a few things. The first is this. For a garden to be healthy, it needs to be nourished. 
Water is the lifeblood to any living thing. Water is the nourishment to your life, but it's also a nourishment to a garden. And if a garden doesn't have water, sooner or later, it's going to wither up and it's going to die. And you're going to have to start all over again. In your marriage, effort and communication is the water that is going to nourish your sexual relationship. Effort and communication is the water that's going to nourish your sexual relationship. Let's be honest. Every married couple wants to have great sex, but very few couples put forth the effort or the communication required to have a great sex life. I saw a tweet a a while back from a comedian who was trying to be funny, and it's probably true for a lot of us. He said 90% of sex inside of marriage starts with somebody pushing pause on house hunters. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, if you want to have great sex inside of your marriage, it's going to require a little bit more effort than just pushing pause on the TV after the kids go to sleep at night. Great sex takes effort. And real life is not like the movies. You guys are going to have to uh, are not going to come home uh, every night after work and Barry White's going to magically start playing in the house and rose petals are going to fall on the bed. I think that people are actually surprised at the amount of effort it takes to have a healthy sexual relationship. Ladies, it takes effort. Sometimes you have to change out the sweatpants. Sometimes you have to ignore the headache. And sometimes you have to cut him a break when he is not as emotionally in tune with you as you would like. Men, it takes effort. Sometimes you have to show affection without expectation of sex. Sometimes that means you need to clean up a little bit. That old stained t-shirt isn't doing anything for her. Sometimes you have to meet her emotional needs. You have to you have to actually connect with her on an emotional level. Men, sometimes you need to put on something sexy for your wife and it looks like an apron doing dishes and helping fold laundry so she has some energy for you in the evenings. Nourishment doesn't come easily. It comes from effort and communication in order to set those expectations. Nothing in marriage is more frustrating than unmet expectations. And add to that the unmet sexual expectations and frustration can be a major problem. So communication is always how you're going to bring alignment back to your marriage. We talked about this a few sessions ago. Now, the reality is when it comes to your sexual relationship, that there are probably going to be dry seasons from time to time. And that's okay. You should not expect to be intimate with each other every single day for the rest of your life. There are going to be dry seasons that, frankly, an, an infinite amount of effort and communication is not going to fix. But in those moments, even though there's nothing wrong with it, you need to know that you cannot let your garden wither. Do not allow the garden to become a desert. When you start to feel the dry season coming, that's when you need to start communicating with each other in that season. And you need to find ways to add effort in that season because a garden needs to be flourished. And it's important to take the time and ask yourself, how much effort have I shown to my spouse lately? How can I communicate better with my spouse so that we can nourish the garden? How am I communicating so that we can nourish the garden? The second thing you need to do to have a healthy garden is this. For a garden to be healthy, it needs to be weeded. Let's get practical for a second. When you plant a garden 
and you go back a few days, you're going to notice that weeds start to, to come up and you're going to need to pull those weeds. Any garden, either a flower garden or a vegetable garden, is going to require a lot of work pulling weeds. When I was in high school, I did yard work for a lot of different people. And there was one gentleman I worked for who was actually a botanist. And he always had me weed all of his different gardens. And I asked him one day, what makes a weed a weed? If the grass is growing in the in the flower bed, we call it a weed. But if it's growing in the yard, we, we love it. We want more of it to grow. And he says something that's very simple, but yet very profound. He said, a weed is a plant that's growing somewhere that it doesn't belong. And if you start thinking about it, a weed in your life is anything that's coming between you and your spouse. And here's what I want you to see. There are a thousand things that can steal energy from your sexual intimacy. And these things are called weeds. A weed in your marriage is anything that's getting your marriage out of proper priority. And those weeds will suck life from your marriage. There are literally a thousand things that can do that. Jobs, stress, age, Life change can all be killer for your intimacy. Kids can be a killer for your intimacy. You're sitting on your couch right now saying amen to that. I want somebody to do a scientific study and figure out how after kids are asleep and romance starts in the house, they will wake up. It's like kids have a sixth sense or something. Uh, scientists have figured out that kids will sleep through a fire alarm. It's very scary. You should watch a study on it if you have small children. They will sleep through a fire alarm. But every married couple knows that when romance starts, kids are going to wake up. Kids can be asleep for two hours, and you and your spouse can head to the bedroom tiptoeing. You look like Navy SEALs about to assault on an objective. And yet as soon as you get to the threshing or the, the threshold of your door, some kid's going to yell out, Daddy, I need to go pop. Why? Because weeds are bound to show up inside of your marriage. Life change is another weed that can really suck the life out of your intimacy. Sex is the ultimate test for the marriage because you are not the same person that you were when you got married. Married, And so as life is constantly changing and you're constantly changing, it's going to require you to pull the weeds out of your intimate life. When the weeds start to grow, two things are going to happen. Sex is going to either unite you or it's going to divide you. When the weeds start to grow, you need to pull the weeds. You need to rearrange your priorities. Sometimes you need to communicate to one another and say, look, we've been very busy lately. We've been very stressed and those kids are driving me insane. But tonight we're going to go to bed early and we're going to turn the lights down low. Intimacy has to be a priority. Sometimes that means you even need to schedule intimate times with your spouse and you need to put a reminder in your phone. You might say, well, that sounds crazy. Well, I read a quote one time. I think it has a lot of truth to it. Scheduled sex doesn't take the romance out of it. It makes it a priority. And what I'm saying is when you, when you actively choose to pull the weeds in your intimate life, what you're communicating to your spouse is that you are important and this is important to us. So your garden needs to be nourished. It needs to be weeded. The third thing I want you to see is this. A healthy garden needs to be cultivated. It needs to be cultivated. It needs some attention. You have to visit the garden often. Now, I don't have a magical number of how many times you and your spouse should be intimate with one another. However, what I do believe is that you should err on the side of too much intimacy and not enough. The Apostle Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 that we need to meet the needs of our spouse and we need to err on the side of too much intimacy and not enough. Paul said, your bodies are not your own. They belong to the spouse. So remember this, that great sex is about giving yourself to your spouse's needs and desires. Now, something important to remember when it comes to sex is that men and women have different needs. And that's where the disconnect comes in for a lot of us is that our needs inside of the 
sexual union are different. So we're trying to cultivate it, but we don't even understand what the other person needs. Generally speaking, there are five different needs of men and of women. Generally speaking, men need inside of the sexual union mutual satisfaction. They desire that both them and their spouse experiences enjoyment and satisfaction through sex. But generally speaking, women are a little bit different. On the other hand, women, uh, generally speaking, need affirmation. The husband needs to build up her self-esteem through kind words, through pointing out what she does right, and through appreciating her. So there's a contrast there in needs. There's another contrast. Generally speaking, men and women both need connection. However, that connection comes through different avenues. Oftentimes, the woman needs an emotional connection before sex, and men feel a strong emotional connection after sex. That's a contrast that can be a tension point that needs to be cultivated between you and your spouse. Generally speaking, men desire responsiveness of their wife. He wants his wife to respond sexually to him because it builds his confidence. But women, on the other hand, a lot of times, generally speaking, desire non-sexual touch, physical touch that isn't, uh, isn't connected to sex, like holding hands and snuggling and, and a physical sign that communicates to her that she is special. Generally speaking, there's another contrast. Generally speaking, men need initiation from their wife from time to time. This shows him that she cares about their sex life, his needs, and in that she wants and desires him. On the other hand, women need spiritual intimacy. She wants this mutual desire inside the marriage to be close to God and seek God's direction for their marriage. She wants her husband to connect to the deepest part of who she is, and that's the spiritual part. Generally speaking, there's another contrast. Men need affirmation. Now, this is different than the woman's desire for affirmation. He needs her to use words that build him up, especially in regards to uh, his sexuality, encourage and appreciate him, that she enjoys being with him in an intimate way. Women, on the other hand, need uh, romance, romance that's not equated to sex. For women, romance is an expression of how you love her in a way that she understands. So what we see is that there's a contrast in needs between the husband and wife, and you need to constantly be addressing those needs in order to cultivate a healthy sexual relationship inside of your marriage. Now, I want to give you some final thoughts on this. God designed that the sex would be great inside of your marriage. You need to nurture that. You need to remove weeds and you need to constantly cultivate uh, intimacy inside of your marriage with your spouse. If you're ever going to have true intimacy, those three things are required. Now, no matter where you are, all of us can go to the next level when we start talking about getting closer to our spouse. And I, I have some homework for you. I want, to, I want to give you some thoughts, some reminders, and then I want you to have a conversation with your spouse based upon what we've discussed today. And I want you to use these as framework for that discussion. Remember this, that service trumps performance. When it comes to your sex life, service trumps performance. Have a conversation with your spouse this week and ask them, what do you have that I can meet in a new, what desire do you have that I can meet in a new or better way? Remember this in these conversations that timing and tempo create intimacy. 
have a conversation with your spouse and say, what potential weeds are sucking life from our intimacy? How can we carve out time where we can slow down a little bit and we can have true intimacy with one another? Remember this, creativity and planning creates excitement. Spontaneity is great, but it can be overrated in our sexual intimacy with our spouse. Schedule this week one, two, seven times that you say, you know what, we're going to be romantic and we're going to be intimate. That's a conversation you need to have. And the fourth reminder I want you to have is this. Ladies, be visually pleasing to him and gentlemen, be verbally affirming to her. Ladies, show off to him a little bit this week. And gentlemen, look for an opportunity to compliment and affirm her. Now, some of you think, well, that might be pretty forward, Austin. Well, go read the book of uh, Song of Solomon. Generally speaking, men are visual and women are verbal. That's why half of the men, statistically speaking, watching this today are watching and looking at pornography on a regular basis. And generally speaking, countless women have read the Fifty Shades of Grey uh, novel series. It sold one point, excuse me, it sold 125 million copies, even though it had terrible reviews and the plot was immoral. What this shows us is that men are visually uh, are attracted visually and women are attracted verbally. And the Song of Solomon sees this play out. You have this exchange between the husband and the wife where he's complimenting her body. He's going into graphic detail of her body and he's complimenting every aspect of her body, even parts of her body that she finds unattractive. Uh, I won't go into all the details, but you can look it up. Here's the other part. We know that he's able to compliment her because she is being verbally, excuse me, visually pleasing to him. And so I'd encourage you to think about everything that we've just talked about. God designed sex to be great inside of your marriage. And you might be in a place where you're frustrated today, but I promise you this, when you apply God's word to your sexual union and to your sexual intimacy, that God's design for your sex life will take you to a place that you did not think is possible and you will have true intimacy inside of your marriage. I hope this series has been of some help to you. We have some resources and some questions below that can help guide some conversations between you and your spouse. But here's what I'd encourage you to do right now. When this video is over, I want you to look at each other and I want you to do something that you might do all the time or you might never do. And that is I want you to pray to each other, pray with each other to God. I want you to pray to God that you would have true intimacy in every single sense of the word that there would be a union, that there would be an alignment between you and your spouse to God. And that intimacy would be physically, it'd be spiritually, and it'd be emotionally between you. And that your marriage would be built on the sure foundation of who Jesus Christ is. And that you can live for everything that God has for you too. Thank you for watching this series. Hope it's been a blessing. God bless.